Hello again, Jonesy, Barnsley and Alex. I'm Owen Slot and this is The Ruck and here we are in our Christmas sweaters. That's me, Steve Jones, Stuart Barnes and Alex Lowe. Now you smart listeners out there will recall that this is, funnily enough, the very same merry quartet that gathered for the podcast only two weeks ago. And we got on so well that here we are again, reunited for a kind of end of year Christmas season special. Um, so we need a bit of a background soundtrack of Christmas good cheer and crackers and party poppers and Jonesy getting stuck in. Well, you're completely sherry. crackers, slightly. Easy, easy. It's my show today. Um, so, Steve, what was the uh, highlight of your Christmas? First of all, as it, every Christmas, uh, Boxing Day trip to Spurs at the new stadium, while you'd all be going shortly for the Saracens versus Queensgate. Absolutely perfect. How did they go? Sorry? How did they go? Well, it was a result we all expected. (laughs) And, um, no, seriously, I think we expect the result. There was a a huge festive crowd there. Parking was a nightmare, but um, Jose, the man I have been abusing for the last six months, I'm now slightly warming to him. Very good. Um, uh, Alex, what about the snow? Loads of snow in your... uh, in your village. We were having to ski everywhere. Sl- sled down to the, the local village store to pick up provisions. Um, that was lovely. Very nice Christmas. Boxing Day football, I've got I've got one West Ham son and one Crystal Palace son and they played each other on Boxing Day. So that's trying to keep the peace. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Barnsley, you probably read a lot of pretentious poetry and listen to folk music over over Christmas. Have <laughs> <laughs> you, you got any cultural tips from the Christmas season for us? Well, well I had a full house, which rather made uh, the reading of poetry difficult, so I played Bob Dylan's Christmas album over and over again. And did I he ha- do a first of Do They Know It's Christmas? Yes, he did. <laughs> Very fine, too. And Lana Del Rey, Norman Effing Rockwell. That was my cultural highlight. Oh, I'm, I'm with you on, on Lana Del Rey. Well done there. Um, so, because it's Christmas, I've got a, I've done a little quiz for for us all to enjoy together, mm-hmm. um, and I put a lot of work into this. So I want you to be very complimentary. And tell me how much you've enjoyed it. Great quiz. We really enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to start off um, with predictions. So this is an area where we pundits have to foresee the future and predict what's going to happen over the coming months. Uh, in the uh, year 2019, we started poorly at the start of the year. <laughs> Ireland were considered such awesome, such an awesome world power that ahead of the Six Nations and Ireland v England in the first round of eight times pundits, how many said Ireland were going to win? None. No, all eight said that Ireland <laughs> yeah. were going to win. We all, every single one of us got it wrong. I, and, um, I, I was away at that time. No, I wasn't well done, that well done, Barnsley. You were away. You obviously got it right. Anyway, our editor wasn't very impressed. At the time of the game, before the game, the clever social media people in Ireland were very excited about how Ireland were going to smash England. Uh, which Ireland sponsor launched an ad which declared it, it was now accepting trade-ins on broken chariots? This was on the eve of the Ireland-England game. Uh, well, I'll give you a clue. It's a, it's a car um, manufacturer because kind of, you know, chariots and broken things. Um, Skoda? No, was, you're not doing very well so far. It was Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Right. Very clever, that wasn't it? Anyway, by the time we got to the World Cup, back on predictions, the Times pundits had vastly improved. Before the competition started, four out of five pundits, uh, the other three had presumably been fired by then, four out of five said that <laughs> South Africa would win the World Cup. And we got told off for that too. No, we got it right because we're, cause we're so smart. Anyway, who was the one Times pundit who got that wrong? And I'll give you a clue. It's someone who knows everything. 
Alex Lowe. No. <laughs> Alex Lowe, was it really? Alex, yeah. who did you tip? Uh, the All Blacks. Oh, how, yeah. how naive. Yeah, There's Alex. a limit. There is a limit to <laughs> the strange. knowledge. strange. can't believe that. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Chris Ashton, Dan Robson, Brad Shields, Joe Marchant, Matt Kovacic and Danny Kerr. Which of the above didn't play for England in 2019? Danny Kerr. Did you see? He's still smart, isn't he? Correct, it was Danny Kerr. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Eddie Jones' scrum half policy never made any sense at all. Uh, which of the aforementioned was selected four times for England but only played twice? What was the list? Chris Ashton, Dan Robson, Shields, Marchant, Kovacic and Kerr. Obviously not Kerr. One of those players was, was selected four times and only played twice. Shields? You mean selected in the 23? Yeah. Marchant? He sat there on the bench being humiliated while Eddie wouldn't bring him on to play him. Robson. Oh, Robson. Dan Robson. Yeah. Yeah. Another yeah. reflection on Eddie's scrum half policy. Absolutely bizarre. Well, he did have Ben Youngs as a starter. Mm. At the end of the club season, who was player of the year? Danny Cipriani. Yeah. On that theme, the Australian player of the year was Samu Karevi. The Super Rugby Players Player of the Year was New Zealand's Sevu Reese. And the World Sevens Player of the Year was Jerry Tuai. Now, if you put if you put Karevi, Reese, Tuai and Cipriani, all these all these uh, award winners together, please give me two reasons why Cipriani is the odd one out. Because he didn't go to the World Cup. Yeah. One, he was the, he was the only player of the year who, d- who didn't represent their country that year. And two, he's not Fijian. The Australian <laughs> player of the year was Fijian. The, the, the Kiwi was Fijian. Yeah. And funnily enough, the Fijian was Fijian as well. So, more on Fiji. Fiji didn't reach... Are you enjoying this? this yeah, I am. It's clever, isn't it? I um, haven't got one right yet. <laughs> Fiji didn't reach the knockout rounds of the World Cup. Nevertheless, players from which country in the World Cup top the stats for most offenders beaten and most offloads? Uh, Fiji. Fiji? Yeah, so that's my sort of Gary Lineker <laughs> moment of the, of the evening when you sign to give away the answer before you, before you yeah. actually get there. Rajaraja must have been up there, mustn't he? Rajaraja was the uh, top defenders beat. Swiss over and Nakarawa was most offloads. Right, okay. Players from which nation topped most tries and most tackles in the World Cup? Same nation. Fiji. No, it wasn't Wales. Fiji. We oh, moved on from that. <laughs> Wales, you're right, Steve. Most most tries was um, Josh Adams. Adams. Oh, Josh yeah. Adams, right. And yeah, most right. tackles was Tipperick. Uh, Alan Wynne Jones. Was it really? Yeah, I've got a new section now. This section is called Know You're Ready. Right. It's largely from his book. During the World Cup, England players were not allowed to do player columns in the newspapers. Nevertheless, Eddie Jones was allowed to contribute to an autobiography that was being serialised within two weeks of the final. No, I don't get that either. But in the book, who did Jones kindly say that he should never have selected for the starting 15 of the World Cup final? Oh, that's Mako. And George Ford. Very good. In the book, of which other rugby coach does Jones say... He scares me. He's a seriously bright bloke. Oh, himself oh, in the Townsend. mirror. Mm, Gregor Townsend. Gregor Townsend. Himself in a mirror. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it should have been himself in a mirror. Who who does he describe as the greatest player I have ever coached? Uh, himself George, in a mirror. <laughs> George Smith. <laughs> Alex, again, I, I'm I'm not keeping account of this, but you're winning at the moment, Alex. Jones, you're doing well, also. Thank you. Who does he use the following metaphor to describe? It's like a Western gunslinger who walks into a bar full of locals. They look you up and down very slowly, and at the first sign of trouble, they kick the tables over and blast you with their six shooters. Who is he describing? I'll give you a clue. There's th- 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 we're all in the room. 
Oh, the media. The media. It's the British media. <laughs> the lunch club. Yeah. Also yeah, to. he calls us the lunch club. Does Eddie repeatedly say in public that he does or doesn't read the media? Does he say he does read the media or he doesn't read the media? Well, he definitely does. I but he says he, he doesn't. Because he says he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as he says he doesn't, He's you would presume that in the 150-page section of the book when he discusses the England years, you'd expect there to be very few mentions of the media because he doesn't read us and will show an interest. So how many times has he mentioned <laughs> us lot? In 150 pages, how many times has he mentioned us? Seven or 57? 57. Absolutely. He can't get away from us. He's absolutely fascinated by us. Hmm. We are the champions. Uh, uh, when Eddie was getting slightly arsy in his post-World Cup final interview... Who was the member? Who was the member of the media that he described as the clever one? Me, Owen Slot. It was Slotty. It was me. It was ironic. Yeah. Well, he didn't say that actually, did he? No. Clever Dick. He said. I didn't realise that he said it was ironic. Didn't he say you're supposed to be the intelligent one? Something like that. No, you write it. He said said, you're the clever one. Anyway, I I I didn't think it was ironic. I think that's unfair. Mm. (laughs) In the book, the great contradiction was the uh, previously mentioned Danny Cipriani. Jones always believed that the media was overly obsessed with Cipriani and wrote too many stories about him. He says in the book that he often felt frustrated about this because rugby reporters, reporters wanted to talk about Cipriani more than any other player. Jones only capped Cipriani twice over his four years. So the question in the book is, does he keep this perspective? Who gets more mentions in the book? The player he capped the most, who was Ben Young's, the player who scored the most tries for him, who was Johnny May, uh, or Danny uh, Cipriani, the player he he says we shouldn't have been banging on about all that time. <laughs> Good question. Is it Danny Cipriani? Jesus, you're sharp. Yeah, well, that's that's well, uh, that's the one. That's a good question. That's very good. Very good. Nicely serialised by our papers that sold plenty of copies. Not that Eddie would be in, interested in that. No, yeah, we've helped him all the way. Um, so anyway, that's the that's the quiz section of the uh, of this can you, podcast. Can you notice the results? Yeah, it was um, it was very exciting actually, <laughs> and um, Jones, you won. You were fantastic. Thank you, Paul, 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 thank, you thank you very much. Uh, Alex didn't do so well because he, he messed up on his uh, prediction of this of the World Cup. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so um, the the next section of this podcast, we're going to discuss our team of the decade. Um, the decade's come to an end. <clears throat> Tomorrow's the last day. It's not going to change between now and then. Don't think anyway. This this is quite hard to do, didn't you think? Yeah, really, really yeah. hard to do. Yeah. Partly because I was wrestling with what the what the best criteria for selection should be, whether it's just the best player to have played in the decade or like a body of work over the decade. Yeah, it's tough that because you could say, <clears throat> well, Johnny Wilkinson played in the 2011 World Cup and therefore he played in this decade and yeah. he's been a great player. So, but I kind of I I would say that if you if you were if you were outstandingly the best player in the start of the decade but didn't cover it all then you should be discussed but if you if you stretch across the whole decade then we can just fanny around and make it up as we go along can't we okay so what what was yours okay so i'm going to start off uh, with my back three and and then you can tell me where i got it wrong i've got israel Folau at 15 and on my wings i have brian habana and semi radranda um i have to have ben smith in my back three i initially picked him at fullback because I think it's where he's most effective, was most effective. But in the end, I went for Falau at fullback, Ben Smith on one wing, and Julian Surveyor on the other wing, on so, the basis that he's the most, his try scoring record is the most lethal of, of anyone's. 30 seconds ago, I had 
George North on my right wing. And I say this because I had Ben Smith at full-back and Surveyor, who's the greatest winger of the last decade, on the other wing. But then I decided that George North has got to go. Falau has to come in and Falau is going to play wing with Ben Smith at full-back. Yeah. But you've got to have Smith for longevity and the fact that he's the best reader of a game that the game has seen in the last decade. Yeah. Okay, my back three was Falau, as he appears to be eligible now. Um, and my wingers are Ben Smith and Semi Rendrada. Wasn't um, Brian Habana, dare I say it, past his peak? Well, this I, th- that's one of those things. I think it was definitely better in the previous decade. I was going to so. say, your Wilkinson no, analogy sort of played played up with Brian. He did all right with Toulon. Well, I'm but... happy to discount him. I, I mean, we seem to agree on Falau and um, and Ben Smith. Um, so Rajendra or or, or um, Surveyor would be our well. Semi's like question. A, semi's like a firework display that's very recent, isn't it? Sort of all over the place. Fantastic, uh, you know. Was the performance of the last World Cup against Georgia? But does that make him the best winger? Steve, should we? Would you have forty-six tries and fifty-four tests? Well, he's got to play. All right, no, he's a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> He is actually, but he wasn't. He's a donkey. All right, I'll give you. My, I'll give you my centres. I have Matt Gitto at twelve, and Conrad Smith at thirteen. Not. I think you would ever play them together, but I think in those positions they are, they've been the best. Well, I I went for Nonu and Smith, but was really tempted to pick Jonathan Davis at outside centre. Yeah, he's, I think he's I think the he's other been, contender yeah. at, cent- at thirteen. Um, and and the one what I wrote down Brian O'Driscoll and then discounted him on the basis that he'd been better in the, the previous decade. decade. Yeah, I've gone for. Not on Smith, but I would happily accept Jonathan Davis outside centre because I think he's been brilliant. Jonathan Davis is my outside centre because I just realised I had or I picked Wesley for Farmer. It was more of an inside centre. I really miss Wesley, and he, he injury stopped him being seen as one of the all-time post-war greats. I've got Jonathan Davis, and I also got the most recent Damien de Elende, who I just thought was oh, yeah. out of this world. Mm. Yeah, he's one, out of this world. That's one World Cup. None who did it in two. And oh, come on, he's a slug at the end. Twenty fifteen, he was as good a centre as this. Well, he was the best centre in the world. Full stop. And I hate the fact that I keep agreeing with Alex, but I do. <laughs> Conrad Smith was in my initial team, but then I thought, well, if you play for New Zealand, it's a little bit easier because you got such a good team around you. So for that reason, I switched and I went to Jonathan Davis thinking of Davis's performance when he played in that decisive Lions test mm-hmm. in 2013 yeah, yeah. and his incredible quality when he was player of the series in 2017. So I'm going Jonathan Davis as uh, Lowe and Barnes stick together. Yeah, very good. All right. Oh, I think we can... I'd go um, Jonathan Davis and Nonu as our, as our conclusion. Well, 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 I'll be, I, I, I think we've been outvoted on that, on that front. No one seemed to agree with me. No, but if they shout loader, that means I get an extra vote. I wouldn't have a man on with unless you want a loose end prop. Okay, you might might come back to that one. Yeah. (laughs) Halfbacks, I found um, I found interesting because because we've got that thing of when did you play your best rugby? So Carter, I thought was was best in the noughties, but I would I've still got him nominated as my ten of of the uh, of this decade. And then same sort of issue with with uh, with my nine. I, I. I have picked Fauri Dupree, but I thought he was best in the noughties as well. I think the, the other option is Aaron Smith. I totally agree with Carter. Carter's greatest moment was probably that Lions tour when he touched the heights of perfection. But he got pretty close to it in 2015 in the semis and the final. And when we talk about criteria, the other thing 
the significance that is attached to the World Cup gives it sort of a few extra points, doesn't yeah. it, when, when, when you're deciding. And Carter defined 2015 in the end. And Fury Dupuis, I agree, I think he's the greatest scrum half this century, but I, he was on one leg in 2015, not the same force in 11, and so I went Aaron Smith with you, Owen. I th- my first thought was actually Johnny Wilkinson, not for what he did with England, but... He played his best rugby with Toulon in those years, and Correct. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, but I I feel that you have to have done it at Test level, as Stuart says, even World Cup level. So then I went to Bowden Barrett, who had played, and I, just, I had to look up the numbers. But he played eighty three Tests this decade, and Dan Carter had played half that number. So then I wasn't sure about what our criteria was. Um, I think the greatest of them would be Carter, and I, I'd pick him. But Bowden Barrett, with the number of points he scored, he scored as your thirty six tries. In, 80, in those 83 tests. And I, I, I think, I'll go for Carter, but I think Bowden Barrett's longevity uh, deserves a nod, but he didn't do it in the World Cup. As a starter. Jones is just, you but, don't happy with but, any of that. Bowden Barrett wouldn't even have him in my uh, under-12s turkeys for Christmas 15. <laughs> <laughs> the icon that is Dan Carter, uh, and by that I mean icon is always someone where their ability is uh, um, seen as far greater than it ever was because they're an icon, uh, as it happened at the end of Brian O'Driscoll's career. As soon as he took him out of that front football team, i.e. when he went to Japan and France, he was never seen again at a, at a million pounds a year, never seen again. My fly-off is, was and always will be Juan Martin Hernandez of the Pumas the most gifted rugby player I've ever seen. Scrum half, Aaron Smith, playing, albeit playing behind the dominant pack. What do you think of that? That's interesting. I mean, I, 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 really, it, I really like your 10, Steve. It, it redefines the role of a 10 because Hernandez is the most gifted player, one of, in this century. But, my God, in terms of decision-making, he got it wrong again and again. Carter got it right again and again. Your outside half has to be a decision-maker. If it wasn't, you go Bowden Barrett because he's the most dazzling. As it is, Carter was the one who did it. And, and Steve, you know, this thing about Japan and playing in France, because the bloke was getting paid a lot of money and he was having a good time, he wasn't there to be judged by that. Maybe he should have been. So he didn't but... want to do anything for the million pounds then? No, no, he wouldn't be the first or <laughs> he last. He was terrible. He was terrible. Well, well hang, hang on. on. How many players have we in this team so far have been judged on their club form? None. No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't judge him on his club form. I said when you took away the guaranteed possession, no. he was hopeless. <laughs> Bowden Barrett was corralled during the World Cup, and he was never seen during the Lions tour. He, were, he ran round and round in ever decreasing circles. He was played in the wrong position in the World Cup, well, and, he, and, and he did have a bad Lions tour. I'm not sure Hernandez played much at fly half, did he? This- in the second half of his Once is enough. Career. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys, I found the front row quite kind of hard. I, I, loads of contenders at, at loose head, but um, not a lot beyond that. I, my loose head was either Mako or Tendai Matawira, the, otherwise known as the Beast, and I ended up ended with Mako. Um, I think Dane Coles has been the best hooker of the of the decade, even though he's missed quite a lot of it and wasn't actually the first choice All Blacks um Hooker by the end of the decade, and I've gone with Tyg Furlong as my tight head. Uh, similar, I consider Bismarck a yeah, hooker. Totally um, right. But I think that when when Dane Coles was playing at his best, he was the best of the decade. So I, yeah, in uh, terms of peak, he yeah, the peak, highest, it, peak forms. I, I picked him. The Beast was still doing it 
in, in his most recent game, uh, outplayed Mako, and he was, was his, there for his a, best match ever. In he was there for a game. decade, so I, I, I wouldn't argue with that. Although I, I equally, Mako has probably hit higher heights than than the Beast in some of his performances. <laughs> Mako and, can uh, do more than the Beast, but yeah, I mean, like that, but the Beast in Dublin that doing one job works when when the chips are down. Uh, a week ago, Steve and I had a coffee before we cut uh, two weeks ago before we when we did what, what date the sixteenth. The podcast on the 16th, we had a coffee and we said, we said, let's compare our team. And we thought we wouldn't have one similar player. We went to number one and we both had the beast. And what you said, Alex, he saved his best to the last. Oh, and you gone for a bloke at loose head prop who, when it came to his moment, when his destiny was in his own hands, his head was up his bottom. That's a strange call. Oh, well, that's, that's me yeah, done. All, all, all I say is that the, 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 the English comes problems were on the other side, though, weren't they? Come, come on, I mean. If, if, it's easier for Lucid if your scrum half's not made of, if your tighter has not made of papier mache. He's, he's not a great scrum. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not a great scrummer, but it's, it's, the problem's on the other side. That the the, the tighter is what keeps you there. I I I'd agree with Slotty. In, in I I would have those two, but I think the beast for what he did and what he represented, and as he Bouncy said, his, his improvement at the end. I've got I've got the beast in there. What a what a warrior. Bismarck is is uh, Lucid is my hooker. But I've got Ken Owens really, really close behind because Ken Owens I is considered just him as a well, special actually. bloke. He, not only is he uh, the sheriff, but he also goes around in the Ice Tedford wearing that green hat, which is obviously very good as well. Um, <laughs> I just think he's just a, he's just an unbelievable character, unbelievable. I don't think I think he's almost as important to Wales as Alan Wynn. But I got Bismarck. Sorry, I got sorry. Bismarck to Pressy. My team sheet says Bismarck Duplessis, but then there's a line goes through it and it says Dane Coles. Coles just redefined it when he was fit mm. in the middle period of the decade. And I think this is all very tier one centric, so I'm going to go for a Georgian as my tight head and I'm going for <coughs> David Zurichashvili. Sports personality of the year in Georgia on a couple of occasions. And he's not Fijian. Funny that, because uh, he, he hasn't got a personality. He, he's not Fijian. And it's not just how well he played for Georgia in the decade. He has been an absolute... He would have, you know, had we been broadcasted in the Auvergne, he would have been Godstroke goddess about 20 times in that period. Great player. Things I do agree with you. This is all pretty tier, pretty tier one, but, but you can't... It's hard to make an assessment unless you've been in yeah. a, a World Cup semi-final or a final. And... But, but, but this, this bloke, bear in mind, you know, OK, he hasn't been winning in Europe, but he's got to European finals... He's won French titles. He has played so much. He's about 412 years of age, and he's still an integral part of the Clermont. <laughs> what team. do you two think? Can we can we give it can, can we give it our Georgian ahead of Ty Furlong as the three? Jones, did you have Furlong <coughs> as your three? I got Nicola Mass uh, from the start of the decade. Furlong, a tremendous, although slightly not that great lately. I I'd be willing to be persuaded Furlong or. Um, What's his name? Zurichashvili. Zurichashvili. Yeah, Zurichashvili. I'd be. I. I think I'd probably go Furlong just about, but Zurichashvili I would have no objection to. Okay. Should we go? Should we go Zurichashvili because it makes us kind of exotic, doesn't it? As you say, that's not tier one. All right, move on. Um, locks. Uh, the, 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 there's there's five options here. Alan Wynne Jones. I think it's got to be there. I mean, talk about straddling the decades. Can't do much better than that. Um, and and uh, uh, Brendan Ritalik, as we should know him. Um, 
uh, Ritalik's also pretty much straddled it. Uh, I think it's hard. To, I think those are the, you, would be your obvious favourites. Paul O'Connell played a lot of his rugby in this decade, um, uh, and uh, Maro Otoje was the, the the great rising star at the end of the decade. Also mentioned Leone Nakarawa. That's yeah. that's kind of like a clever one because he won uh, a gold medal in the sevens and then was an outstanding 15s player as well. So I don't know if we should be clever and add, and add him in. So you, I'll, I'll hand that over to you Do you know which player won the most caps in the last decade in the world? In the last decade? Halloween Jones. Sorry, the quiz is finished. Sorry, but it's... But you're so, doing your quiz now? Yeah. Okay, go on then. Sam Whitelock. Yeah. For the All Blacks, 117 caps since 2010. Your, your quiz is better than mine. For New Zealand. Of the two All Black locks, I'd have Whitelock every time. Yeah, I, you, I know you've always been white locked. But, but he's, of, he's, uh, neither, of, he's neither of my locks. Who are your locks, Sam? Alan Wynne-Jones and yeah. Nakarawa. Brodie Ritalik uh, helped redefine the way New Zealand played. Uh, magnificent. Um, I am a big white lock fan as well. I'm a gigantic Alan Wynne-Jones fan, but I'm going Brodie Ritalik. And I want, I think, the, the most scary evil, frightening second row of the decade and it pains me to leave uh, Jones out but I'm going to go Eben Etzebet. I, I think we've forgotten a true South African trooper. Frightening player, magnificent second row. Alex, how do we decide this? Well, I mean, I listed six, all of whom have been mentioned. Retallick, Alan Wynn, Whitelock, Etzebeth, O'Connell and Nakarawa. So, should, should try and form the best partnership of from within those, and and so you want an enforcer and and a uh, and an athlete. I, so Nakarara, I think, would 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 get in as 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 the athlete over over Retallick probably, and then mm. and then and then your cho- I think your choice then is is the sort of the the leader, the the, the totem in the second row, and then I don't know Alan Wynn, I think. All right. I'm happy with that. We're happy with that. Alan Wynn and Nakarawa. Hey, how many great second rows are there? It's a really strong position this decade, isn't it? Incredible. Position mm. of the decade. Fabulous. That's an award, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. My back row. <clears throat> I'll do my, do my flankers first. Oh, I've just got a list of them. I couldn't decide. Oh, come on. You've got to name two. No, no. I will, I will, I will name two. All right. Um, uh, well, I've gone with Rich, Richie at seven. And uh, Pocock at six, which is kind of pl- playing with it, playing around a bit. But uh, that's where I'd, I, I also might uh, also under consideration Hooper, Dusatois, and uh, Sam Warburton. Uh, I picked Pocock and McCaw as well, and had the same others under consideration: Dusatois and Warburton. I don't like icons. <laughs> I picked um, because I Elvis want, Presley because I've got to get in somewhere. Six is Marrow because he's an absolute force of nature and will retire as one of the greatest ever players. Open side Pablo Matera. I'm not going with the icons. It went on too long. Uh, I'll go with the icon. And I hate the word icon. It's um, people don't know what else to use. They say it's an iconic moment. It's, I, I know this is a digression, but geez, don't you hate it when someone says that's an iconic moment? Because they can't think what else to say. Anyway, Richie no, McCaw. No, really good digression, Barnes. Richie McCaw. It was iconic. Richie McCaw is a bona fide icon. Um, he's the best referee of the last decade. No dispute. I'm sorry, Nigel Owens. No. <laughs> <laughs> McCaw 
managed referees. If you're an open side, that is a greater skill even than the turnover power of Pocock. I thought about Pocock and McCaw cheating like you two, and I think it's a great call. But if you think back, 2011, best player in that World Cup when New Zealand won was Jerome Kano. Mm. If you think back to 2015, Kano was magnificent again. If you think all the way forward to last to this year, 2019, one of the reasons Toulouse lifted themselves from mediocrity to the top in France was Jerome Kano. Great personality, magnificent player. He's my six. So you got Kano as your six, and your seven would be McCaw? Would be McCaw, and Kieran Reid would be my number eight. Let's just get to the quick. New Zealand have won 90% of their matches this decade. Back row is critical. You go an all-black back row. That's my thinking. My, so, OK, eight. So you've gone into eight. My, my eight discussion uh, was between uh, Sergio Parise and uh, Talupe Faletau, and I, 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 don't think you can, I don't think you can leave Parise, Parise out of this. Um, I've he got... didn't win a lot in his career, so winning a place in our team of the decade would probably make up for everything, wouldn't it? If you put Parise in between McCaw and Jerome Kaino, Barnsley, would he have been better than Kieran Reid? The last five years of his career, Parise has been the most overestimated player on the planet. He is an icon, though. He, well, he's <laughs> definitely an icon. He has tried to do so much for Italy. Yeah, he's got wonderful talent. Kieran Reid, we'll never know. Reid did do it. 11, 15, mm. 19. What, no, he, no, no. 19. Sorry, 11 and 15. No, 19, he was a bit past it. He's all over it. But what he did with Surveyor and Aaron Smith down those five-metre short lines was something we haven't seen. He, he was a brilliant player. And, yeah, I know, you know, he, he had Kano and McCaw either side of him. It does make life a little bit easier. Yeah, but, Barnes, but if you've got it. the Zurichashvili sort of argument, you know, he, he, might have, he might have won a World Cup if he'd been in a great team. Then that applies to Parise as well, Yeah, but it? I think Parise was massively overestimated. Italy, in the last what? World Cup, Three. were at their best when Parise wasn't playing. They picked him and they what played What about worse. in 2012 or 13? You say the last five years he tried to do too much, but I, he was their only player. He had to do too much because there wasn't any alternative. But for a long time. He, not, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, he was a decent now, but... player for a long time. but He's yeah, dangerously iconic, players. though, isn't he? Yeah. Too, too iconic. I, mean, I wouldn't argue with Kieran Reid. Um... Jonesy, who would you have? Fatletoe by Miles. Oh, sorry, I knew that. I didn't even need to ask. So, <laughs> why? A, he's not an icon because hmm. everything he's done is not been with the help of the media because he doesn't do any media. Wales were knocked out the World Cup the day that Fatletoe was ruled out of it. Because I never thought they would come anywhere near winning it. But when Falatau was to be added to the Grand Slam team, he's the greatest player Welsh, Wales have ever had, better than Mervyn <coughs> Davis. 2019, he was sensational, absolutely sensational. And I think probably he's the greatest, rivals Alan Wynne-Jones for the greatest post-war player, uh, along with Gareth Edwards. Wow, another tablet of stone. Sorry, I don't know why I keep on saying that. So how do we decide who the back row is? We, we've got Barnsley. I like John Kano. I think. Well, Reed Reed is a bit. I, I'll I'll give you. He's an obvious call. So if I can have Kano, I'm gonna I'm gonna dump Kieran Reed happily. For you, Falatau men. Yeah, we're we're going a bit iconic. So what? Well, Falatau men. I have Falatau as my. I, I still Parise ahead of Falatau. Don't you? Can you help us to consensus here? Or it's not really it's not really in your personality to do that, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Slotty? I'm a, I'm a great tourist. No, you're I, a great iconoclast. You're not I a great. I my bloody credit card on tour. I never got it back. 
And I give you my breakfast voucher. Well, I, I hardly know what to do now. Just, that's, um, that's a personal attack. Unlike anything that's no, ever no, happened on this no, podcast. No, I'm just trying to think of, um, of um, Parise. You think, God, playing with a great side, yeah. I think Falato's got something there. I think he's even greater than people realise, as opposed to Dan, who's less great than people realise. Look at you, Alex. What, sh- should we go Kano, McCaw... Well, I, I I just thought the New, McCall, New Zealand back row because it's oh, a reflection. Oh, then we've lost two of our... Uh, OK. They've won two, thir- two out of three World Cups. My team's got about ten All Blacks because it's been their decade. Right. You can't argue with it. You, you can't argue with the, the, the results. It's there. World Cups. OK, I'm now going to announce who the, the Ruck team of the decade is. <sighs> oh, hang on. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> uh, we play we we play uh, Israel Folau at fifteen with Ben Smith and Julian Sarveya on the wings. We have Jonathan Davis and Mar Nonu at centre. Dan Carter at ten and Aaron Smith, the all, all, all black duo at, uh, at half back. In our front row, we have Tendai Matawira, also known as the Beast, Dane Coles, and the great the great Georgian Zurichashvili. One for the second tier. Uh, our locks are Alan Wynne Jones and Leone Nakarawa, and our back row is Kano McCaw Parise. Oh! <laughs> oh no! I was carrying you all until the end. <laughs> that's that's our our team of, of the decade. Um, to continue the fun, we're now going to go to God or Goddess of the Year. Right. Uh, just slim it down to 2019. Might be a little bit World Cup centric. I don't know. Your God or Goddess of the Year. Who wants to go first? I'll nominate Sia Khaleesi, God of the Year, captain of oh. the World Cup winning team, uh, with just the most remarkable story. Rep- what he represents for himself yeah, and for his country right. is just, enormous. All right. So, Khaleesi, if I just... Kind of nice, is that it? Well, better than everyone else. <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> Clever, right on, um, politically correct. I wish I'd said that. Iconic. He's iconic. Iconic. He's iconic. <laughs> My God of the Year is the man who put the <laughs> something in something. My God of the Year is the man behind the electrification of rugby. It's Tony Brown, the coach of Japan, who gave us such magnificent moments, especially Japan Island and Japan Scotland, unless you're a Scot, and was behind a brand, not a brand new way of playing, but a brilliant way of playing, which electrified the, the World Cup and made us love Japanese food, culture, people and rugby. Very good, Jonesy. Love it. Good answer. Yeah. Stuart? I was in iconic mode and I was going to say Sia Khaleesi, but we can't have, we can't have the same man twice, can we? We can. No, we can't. It, we can't, it convincing we can't have the same man twice. So... Having spurned Alan Wynne-Jones, though he got in our team of the decade, I'm going to have him as my God of the Year. This was actually not a great Welsh squad, but Alan Wynne-Jones carried them to the Grand Slam. They got to the semi-final. He, he, he didn't do anything that made you think, wow, but he just kept giving and giving and giving. His tackle count, as you've said earlier, was fantastic. If it had been a God of the Decade from British rugby, it would have been him. But it's God of the Year, full stop, it's him, Alan Wynne-Jones. Very good. Um, my God of the Year uh, is or was uh, um, Jamie Joseph, which is saying pretty much the same thing as Jonesy. Because mm. um, I, I, I think uh, Sia Khaleesi, Alan Wynne, um, 
obviously both um, tremendous icons in their own right. Um, uh, but for me, for, for rugby, so Sia Khaleesi was was almost was more of a national statement. But for rugby for this year, I just for me Japan and what happened with Japan was the the the, the biggest the 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 greatest thing that has happened to the game. So um, so. So I'm going to give the God of the Year to uh, to Jonesy to your nomination to uh, to Tony Brown for uh, for being the the brains behind that. Okay. So maybe they could share it, but uh, we'll go with Tony Brown. Now, do we have any? Um, uh, because it's New Year's Eve tomorrow, and then mm. and then the New Year begins. Um, and any any New Year's wishes that uh, uh, hopes for the New Year? You want anyone wants to share? I've got New Year wish. I think there should be players' ghosted columns should come back into the sport. <laughs> Seriously. Because you know how much we love doing them. The fact that players put no effort into it at all, just get the money, they're not even available to take the call, and they never come up with any interesting theories or anything whatsoever, and they're scared to say anything whatsoever in the columns, doesn't, doesn't stop me dying for players' columns. They never even say thanks for ghosting them. They've never said anything interesting. They take up space we could do better ourselves. So let's have players' columns back in the game. Very nice. On that theme, could we have? Could we put uh, Joe Schmidt's autobiography out for a rewrite? Yes. By a ghostwriter um, who can put something interesting in it. Yeah. As you say, an opinion or maybe some analysis of where they went wrong when they went wrong. No, yeah. but hang on a minute. The, the whole point of Joe's book was to show that Ireland became a team of ultimate bores in 2018. <laughs> Therefore, the book became a reflection of how Ireland played. It was the essence of Joe Schmidt, and he's been a great coach, but, boy, what a terrible year he had. Uh, amongst this panel today, who's, who gave Joe Schmidt's book more than half an hour's worth of flicking through? No. no. Well, I heard what it was like. So it the only bit the... I've read is Joe Schmidt on the front cover. It, Joe Schmidt's rugby brain. I mean, there, there's it's there's a hell of a lot in there, and we saw none of it. It was the it was the most disappointing read since. Well, we all know what the last one was, but it'd be unfair to mention it. Um, it, was, it, it was the Lions Diary. Well, it, was, but it, was, it was the mo- it was the most disappointing rugby read that I can I can remember. But it was a super. It was a sad end to what has been a superb career in Ireland with Leinster and Ireland. What the the book Smith. was, or the, the, well, the, the, or book the way was, his union just just threw him under the bus at the end of it? Uh, well, he sort of fell away a bit. Hang on, let's go back to ghosting. That's what we're talking. Ghostwriting. <laughs> yes, it's such a great thing. I know, Alex, you love all your ghosting, don't you? Yes. When you can finally get hold of someone. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, we don't get a penny, but, but you know, maybe one day they'll buy us a drink or something. Yeah, but this is a poor us podcast isn't it I once ghosted, hopefully it will be better for us in 2020 many years ago I ghosted Jonah Lomu it was England versus South Africa I found <laughs> him well, two athletes Lomu. together I, I, I came out of the commentary with Sky I found him in his corporate box he just about knew that the team in white was England and they had a bloke at eight called Delalio year and he wasn't quite certain who the team in green were it was one of the most desperate Ten minutes of my life before I thought he's not going to be reading tomorrow Sunday Times. I'll just write anything. Can I tell you the that first ever ghosted column was me with Ian McLaughlin, Mighty Mouse, and it was the day he said, "Come and see me afterwards in the corporate box." It was the day when Scotland smashed England, and I went up to him with my notebook caught him under pressure. I said, "Ian, I said, hey, uh, uh, so how do you, how, what do you think of the game?" He said, "Oh, we effing stuffed them." He said, "We effing stuffed them." 
And I said, no, no, but this is for your column. He said, oh, right, sorry, sorry. He said, oh, we bloody stuffed them. He said, yeah, fucking stuffed them. He said, the bastards are fucking getting hell, So that was the, I went away and make it up. And that was the first ever ghost of column in the history of rugby journalism. In Sunday Times, it was, yeah. God, so you kicked off all that rubbish yourself. I did, I'm sorry about that. Any other New Year wishes? Yeah. TMOs. Now and again, I don't mind a TMO. Is this going to be fun? Yeah, well, it, it, it depends. It depends if you're into sort of Japanese cult horror movies, maybe, yeah. Um, I don't mind TMOs now and again being referred to when you can't see 16 bodies and is the ball on the ground, on the line or not. But when they are talking constantly in a referee's ears while players going on saying, that's not forward, don't worry, forward pass, and referees blow up, they're in a great position, they blow up, it drives me mad. I think any TMOs who speak before they're spoken to should have their tongues cut out. <laughs> Literally, I think. Yes, yeah, well, that's, that was me. I've been watching oh. Japanese... Over Christmas, I've been getting into Japanese cult horror movies, and I'm thinking there are a lot he's of gone. TMOs but, I could see. Gone. He's gone. He's gone. I, gone. He has just got better and better, hasn't <laughs> he? Lost he? Lost You've had it. your peak moment in 2019. You saved it to the penultimate day of the year. Mm. But what do you think, Steve? Would you like TMOs without tongues? Tongues cut out, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's good. I think so. Well, they can always do, you know, write notes. No, oh, definitely. You have to make all rugby an 18 certificate. That's good, too. We can bring back some fighting. Oh, do we get to televise it? We get to televise it. Oh, I'm assuming you're saying that as soon as they come, as soon as the TMO interjects, someone walks into the TMO box and... Slices his tongue up there and then. So, yes. Yeah, so, all right. Well, there's, someone, si- there's someone sitting guard Body over gore. him with a samurai sword. Actually, the Japanese well, theme up. We should stop calling people <laughs> game changers. The substitutes are match losers when they come on, not game changers. <laughs> and on that bombshell, so we finish with TMOs with their tongues removed and all, uh, all substitutes uh, known as, as game losers. Mm. Uh, that was how The Ruck concluded the decade, the year. Thank you, uh, Alex, Steve and Stuart. That was The Ruck. Uh, we'll be back next week in an entirely new decade with probably exactly the same people. Thank you for listening to us this decade and please stick with us. Very happy new year to you all. Happy new year, everybody. Happy new year, everyone.